0: Ghostly Thistle presents The Antique Shop Episode 30 The Reckoning I... I didn't know how to record this. How to tell this story. Everything's such a mess. And I just keep thinking, what if I'd done something differently? What if I'd just listened? I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't feel like shite. It's a normal day in the shop. Like the day before, the week before, the months before. It's a full house. The two roasters and Kronos are playing a gamey cards I've never heard of, but there's money riding on whatever it is. Or prestige, or pride, or all three. They've been engrossed in this game since I arrived a few hours before. They barely acknowledged me when I got in, and have said barely a word to me or anyone else. I entertain myself. No difficult in the shop, and after a few more hours, the bell above the door resounds round the cavern. I crawl for where I've been hiding, flipping through someone's collection of society gossip columns for the 18th century, which are surprisingly savage, to see who it is. As I'm making my way to the counter, I see the customer. A lassie with blonde hair and dark roots, designer glasses and chiseled cheekbones. We pass each other in the narrow aisles, exchanging that awkward half-smile British people have been genetically modified to do. I wait at the counter, wondering what she's looking at or looking for. What items are doing the same thing to her? Which one's fate will put in her path to trip her up and possibly ruin her life? Some jewellery, a war medal, a vintage blouse, someone's beautiful painting at Edinburgh as the sun sinks down. It's a book. I grit my teeth. A habit ever since that ginger haired bitch decided to jump for one and escape. I can't look at a book in the shop without thinking of it. I hope this one doesn't have a similar surprise inside. This one doesn't have a title or an author or anything on the cover. It's one of those old ones, early 20th century, before they invented cover art. It's light green. Unembossed embossed with vines, flowers and geometric patterns. For all I knew, it could have been about anything for botany to the Scottish wars of independence. There wasn't even any writing on the spine. I had to look on the inside of the front cover to find a penciled-in price, but that was the only writing in sight. I put it in a paper bag and handed it to her watching her leave, no really knowing what to think. It could couldnae be a good sign that it didn't have any writing on the cover or spine, but there were a few books in the shop where the print on the outside had faded away time. Before the thought that it could be a normal book crossed my mind, I heard Chronosy's voice in my head. He'd glanced up for the intense card game. After the woman who'd just left, the last echoes of the bell still audible. It was evidently no his turn to make a move. Kronos informed me that the book the lassie had just bought tells you how your life will turn out. It's like a biography, except the end of your life is written about before you have a chance to get there yourself. Because everything in the past is so accurate, the readers assume that the end must be too, and few people ever liked what they read. Many got depressed, many go into denial, many change their ways, and some convince themselves there's no escape and end their lives. Some make positive changes, but the book was never meant as a gift. These things never are, apparently. I wait a few minutes. Long enough for it to be Kronos' turn in the game. Long enough for them to forget I exist. Before I slip out the shop and try to find the lassie. As I'm looking for my trusty guide, the brown rabbit, I happen to see her a few shops soon. I have a few excuses lined up. I recycle a lot of them. I've had to buy a few things back for customers, but hopefully I'll get it returned to me through karma. I was thinking of buying lottery tickets. For this lassie, I decided to tell her I made a mistake, and that the book had actually been reserved by a collector. She seemed really nice, understanding. I gave her some money and clutched the paper bag in my hand. The book that rewrote itself depending on who owned it crinkling the paper. I'd made a habit of this. Of catching up to customers. Or using items in the shop to find them. Or following my trusty cotton-tailed pal. I'd lie and deceive and con my way into getting the item back. I've destroyed one or two. The rest are hidden away in the shop's nooks and crannies, left to gather dust and be forgotten by the world. I thought nothing of this at the time, or any of the times before. It was just another customer I'd saved. I'd go back to the shop, hide the item and wait for the next customer, the next time I could interfere in things I've been told not But let's see what happens to these customers. To these people who I save. This lassie never reads the green book. She never gets to learn where her life is heading. She never gets to reflect or think. She never gets to be horrified or reminded. She goes on with her day, way nothing changed her path going in the same direction as it was when she woke up that morning. And that path will take her, two days later, to her girlfriend's living room. There's a box of tissues on the coffee table, cluttered with magazines, keys and a few odd pieces of jewellery. Two women are on the sofa, arms length away. One is the customer, the other is her girlfriend. The customer looks troubled, guilty, but resolved. The other woman has tears streaking down her face, taking her mascara and eyeliner away. They've broken up. It's for the best. It's just no working anymore. They'd be happier with other people. There's no one else. It's just no working. It's time to move on. Call it quits. A few hours and tissues later, the customer leaves for the last time, thinking that she's been mature and that it's gone as well as she could have hoped. She's sad, but she's convinced it's the right thing to do. Her ex, on the other hand, doesn't agree at all, and she doesn't understand. The relationship was going great. They were having fun. They were even talking about moving in together. They were making hypothetical plans that could one day be their future. For the girlfriend, the customer had been the future and knew it was gone. She does what many people do after a breakup she finds solace at the bottom of a bottle and then another until it numbs the shock, until she thinks she's better off single anyway, until she gets angry that she wasted so much time. About how next time she'll find the one. A few days into this bender, after she's made a suitable dent in her bank account buying booze to maintain the numbness, she gets a phone call for her ma. Her cousins had a heart attack. Despite the doctor's best attempts to save him, he didn't make it. The family's devastated, and she needs to come over. No. The shock sober[s] her up. She needs to be with her family. She wants to see them. Her previous pain is momentarily forgotten. She digs around the mess, a takeaway containers and empty bottles, a beer and spirits, until she finds the fluffy keyring she keeps attached to her car keys. She's fine. She decides she isn't too drunk to drive. She gets in her car and hits someone. She didn't even see him, no until it was too late. She doesn't want to get out the car. It might have just been her imagination. Except, there's a crack on her windscreen. A circle that fans out into veins. The glass has bent under the weight of a body. That body is lying in the road in front of her, limbs at impossible angles. There's a pedestrian who's seen the entire incident. Their phone's out and they're calling the police. Someone's been run over, they say. Someone needs an ambulance. That someone is Reed. I go into the shop the next day and Finn is waiting for me, wearing an expression that immediately sends my stomach to the floor. It's no sixth sense, it's a gut feeling. Something instinctual. Or perhaps it's me picking up something for the dragon heated ring on my finger. He tells me what's happened that Reed's been in an accident and he's at the hospital. I didn't really remember what he says next, if he says anything. I immediately get on the bus, and although I know the journey is only 20 minutes, it may as well have been 20 hours. I eventually arrive and I have no idea where he is. I've never been in the hospital before. I go to a desk and say his name. Say I'm his sister. Or was it his cousin? I would he said I was his ma if it meant I was told where he was. I get a floor and a room number. I pass doctors, patients, nurses... People who look like death is perched on their shoulder. And I start to feel this awful dread building in my stomach. I fucking hate hospitals. I eventually find his room. A private one. But I didn't go in. No when I see Ollie's family crowding round the bed. A doctor talking to them. I hear, through the gaps in the door... That he'll pull through, that he'd stabilised but still needed observation. The doctor commented that it was a miracle he wasn't more badly hurt, as the driver had been going almost double the speed limit when they'd hit him. I didn't know at the time who the driver had been, but I was relieved to hear Reed was going to be okay. It was easier to be angry than upset at the time. This was the reason why there were speed limits. I bet it was some fucking roadster without a licence trying to prove he had big fucking bollocks by racing down the road. He'd better hope I didn't use some of the things in the shop to end him. By the time I got back to the bus stop, I'd calmed down. I decided not to go in to see Reed. It hadn't seemed right with his family there. I'd visit him later. As the last of my adrenaline ebbed away, the anger gave way to sadness. Seeing Reed like that, bruised and beaten up, so small in a bed that engulfed him, made me realise he was a lot more fragile than I'd assumed. I didn't know why I'd thought that. It's no like foxes are particularly strong. But he wasn't human. So, shouldn't that make him more powerful? Perhaps that was the reason he'd pulled through when someone like me would probably have died. I could not bear to think of how close he came to those pearly gates. And just as my eyes were stinging, I noticed something appear at my side. The bus stops in the city have these bars that go along the back wall of the shelter. They're instead a putting in proper seats. You're supposed to lean on it, and I think oot a habit more than comfort people do. I'm no exception. But beside me, perched on this piece a plastic like it was a tree in the woods, was an owl. I squeezed the tears out my eyes and looked again expecting it to have transformed into one of those scrawny pigeons that are everywhere. But it was still an owl. A mixture of brown, white and black. It perched calmly at my side. No moving, staring straight ahead with its large, glassy, ruined eyes. I cast my gaze around, looking for someone else at the bus stop. Even a passerby to see this, to confirm that I was no just going mad. It was the voice in my heed, no my own, that pulled me from my disbelief. It was the same way Kronos spoke to me. I could hear him like I could hear my own inner voice, but this one was different. This voice was deeper, slicker. Had a heaviness to it that I'd never heard for anyone before. No the comforting kind, and even the deep Scottish burr couldn't expel my growing dread. It told me no to bother looking for someone else, that I was the only one who could see it. My first thought, and knew I didn't know why. Was that it was Madame Honora come to gimme an answer to my proposal all those months ago. But why would she send a messenger? Was this her familiar? Was this like an anti chronos? No, the owl had nothing to do with the madams. No directly. I hadn't asked a question out loud. And the realization that this owl could hear my thoughts slowly began to trickle in. Before I could ask what the fuck this bird was, it had already answered me. Fate. <laughs> I laughed. I know, no my wisest decision. But it couldn't be serious. I'd never thought fate was a person, let alone an animal. Hearing these thoughts, fate corrected that it wasn't an animal. That was just how I saw it. Everyone saw something different. Know that it had shown itself to many people before. I was wasnt happy about it making an exception for me? Where I saw an owl, someone else might see an old man or a woman, a person in a black suit, a horse, an eagle. Fate had no form a its own, so people gave it one. I asked why it was here. I actually asked to Whitdale the pleasure before I could filter that out. Fate knew what I'd been up to—interfering, stealing back King's meant for people, and hiding them in the shop, altering their fates. They'd ignored it the first few times thinking I was just testing my luck. But when I'd kept doing it, they decided it was time to teach me a lesson. You see, this was all connected. What had happened to Reed, And all of it was my fault. Fate took me back to last month, to the day a lad came into the shop and bought a cap. The flat cap. The one that gave you waking night terrors. The one I'd taken Reed to go and get back. It turned out that lad had an undiagnosed heart condition. If he'd worn the cap like he was supposed to, he woulda gone to the doctor, hoping to get medication for anxiety or depression, and the doctor woulda taken his blood pressure and noticed something was wrong. The lad would have been sent for some tests and the heart condition would he been found and treated. But none of that happened because I'd taken the cat back less than an hour after he'd bought it. He'd never gone to the doctor. He'd never had the tests done. Instead, he'd had a heart attack and was deed. He was the cousin of the lassie who'd hit reed with her car. And the only reason she'd been drunk enough not to notice? Because I'd prevented her girlfriend from reading the book that woulda changed her mind about ending the relationship. If I hadn't interfered, there'd have been no need to go on a bender to ignore her heartbreak. And she wouldn't have got behind the wheel and nearly killed Reed. In this supposedly random string of events that had ended with me nearly permanently losing one of my closest pals, I was the common denominator. If I had not interfered with these customers, none of this would have happened. What else had I done? I'd interfered with so many customers, buying back the items, lying and deceiving just so I could get them back. Had something like this happened every time? Fate said that sometimes when I interfere, I'll be helping, and other times I'll be making it ten times worse. I'll never know which is which. Was I willing to take that risk? No. No, of course not. I didn't want that on my hands. It was bad enough I knew what I'd done just because I'd prevented a customer from wearing a stupid cap. It haunts me that I didn't know what else I've inadvertently done by taking back items that have been bought. How many things have happened that shouldn't have? How many times have I made things worse? I didn't understand before how fate worked. I was thinking in the short term. Preventing people from suffering today. But by doing that, I was causing them suffering tomorrow, or next week, or next year. My own thoughtlessness had almost killed my familiar, and possibly strangers who I was convinced I was helping. The madam had been right, and I'd been too arrogant to realise, too stupid to understand. You shouldn't interfere with fate. I understand now, and I'll stop. I promise. I'll stop. I eventually arrive. <laughs> I would have said I was his ma if it meant I'd. T- Fuck. No, when I see Ollie's family crowd and ruin the bed. Ruined the bed. Oh, God. I'll get that D in there somewhere. You're sup... The flat cap. The one that gi' you what... (laughs) Weehee. (laughs) Weehee. Oh, this is meant to be a serious episode. Stop it. Thank you for listening to episode thirty of the Antique Shop. I better get an Oscar for that for that performance. That was the most emotional I've ever been. Oh, and I'm I'm wishing I should have. I should have gone in some kind of acting course, but hey, I tried, I tried, guys, I did. Welcome to Ramble Time. Um, it's probably going to be a long one today, to be honest. So this is obviously episode thirty. We're at the end of a a block or a season or whatever you want to call it. And as I said, either last week or the week or the episode before, I will be taking a few months, at least two months, possibly not longer than that. I don't really want to go. It's not a hiatus. I will be coming back pretty soon. So the reason why I need two months... So I actually did... There's a few notes about this entire block that I will inform you about that I've been waiting months to, to tell people about. So after two years of podcasting, uh, this was the first kind of season, I suppose, that I actually wrote about 60% of the scripts before I even started releasing the episodes. So I think I had about 6 out of 10 before I even started releasing them. And my god, that was so much better. I don't know what the fuck I've been doing for the last two years, but I have this, this season, this block has been so nice. Because I've already had the episodes written, so I only had to write four episodes in like three months, and i you know a lot of stuff has happened in my personal life in the last few months, and so there was weeks that went by where I wouldn't be able to write, I wouldn't have the time. Uh, so it's been really nice having those like six like in the bank, so to say, so that I, I didn't have to worry about it. And it also I also kind of like leaving scripts for like a a month, at least a month. I I call it the maturing process. But it's really just you write a script and then you come back a month later and you have like fresh eyes so you can see the mistakes. Because I do uh, continuity. I'm really bad for continuity because I, I write the scripts over like days. And so like I'll write something near the end of the script and be like, oh, I've just contradicted myself. So it's it's really good to kind of leave scripts to mature. And then before I record them, I, I'll edit them and just check that the continuity is fine. So it's been really good having those six episodes in the bank before I even started releasing episodes. I'll be doing that from now on. (laughs) And as I said, I'm ashamed that it's taken me two years to realise that was how you should be doing podcasting. But hey, we live and learn. So it took me about six to eight weeks to write those six episodes that I had before I started releasing stuff. Uh, So that's why I will be away for about six to eight weeks whilst I write the next block of ten, or at least plan out the next block of ten. So the other thing that I do, that I should tell you actually, is that the last 10 episodes have been 100% original. And I don't mean that in a way that I have plagiarised the last like 20 episodes. So I I don't know if I've ever actually said in the credits, I think I said in the Q&A. Anyway, if you don't know, or if you've forgotten, I, the, the Antique Shop is based on a set of short stories that I wrote about a decade ago. Uh, r- roughly the same time as I, I was writing the original McIlwraith statements, but I got a lot further through the stories for this. It was always called the Antique Shop. I didn't change that many things about the characters or anything like that. Episodes one to twenty of this podcast were based on the original short stories, and by short I mean ridiculously short. So that yeah, that was essentially the original. And I've I think I wrote another, I I think I wrote another four and planned out another like ten. But I have, by the time I got to episode 20, I had actually like essentially ran out of original source material. So the last 10 episodes that you've heard are completely original. They're not based on the original stories, which is why there may be a difference. And I'm, I'm quite conscious if there is a difference between the stories in the last 10 episodes and then obviously episodes 1 to 20. Because obviously I was about, oh God, I'm giving away my age here, but yeah, I was late teens when I wrote the original stories. So yeah, I'm I'm late twenties now. I'm I'm old. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I was a late teen. So obviously, like when you're a teenager, your writing's not great, and so I had to update a lot of the stories and stuff like that, and diversify them a lot. Yeah, I don't know if there will be a difference. I'm hoping there's not a difference, but yeah, there. That's why there may have been a slight difference in tone between the last ten episodes and episodes one to twenty, because I have I haven't had any source material to draw from. So this happened with the McElroy Statements, but I had written a lot fewer stories for the McElroy Statements. I think I'd written about six, and obviously there's 25 episodes in that podcast, so most of it was original. But yeah, I'd I'd gotten quite a lot of the way through the original stories for these. I was quite surprised, Um, but they're really short. They're like four pages, five pages maybe. I'm now essentially at the end. Sorry, I did. I came to the end of the original source material ten episodes ago. So from here on out, it's just going to be 100% original which is why I think I've diversified a lot in the last 10 episodes and the fact that we've, we've gotten to see the past a few times. Like we've got to see Kronos' backstory, we've got to see the origins of the Madams and I do intend to keep this theme going because obviously when you're world building and you've got quite a few characters, there's a few avenues that you can go down and explore. So I will be keeping this up. I do realise that there wasn't very many special customers in this block I couldn't fit them in. I I was having problems f- coming up with an idea for a, a special customer and I just didn't fit them in essentially. So most of the customers have been like buying customers like they've bought an item from the shop. But I will try and get special customers back in the next 10 episodes. I know that I've done it now so I can correct it. Do tell me if you've if there's been a difference if the quality has decreased in the last 10 episodes or the tone has shifted. I'd be curious I'd be curious to see if there has been a noticeable change in the last 10 episodes. Because obviously you're not the same person as you are when you're a decade younger. So yeah, I did as I said I did modernize the original stories and I did adapt them and I didn't use all of them because some of them are just shit to be honest. Is that us? So yes, to summarize after my massive rant, uh, yeah, so the last episode in this block, I will be away for between six to eight weeks, possibly more, to prepare for the next ten episodes, because I found that a lot better. A lot better way to work than I have. It was, it was like, yeah... I was really bad before. I was awful before I was literally writing episodes like the week before I was releasing them. It was so stressful. So yes, two years later, and I realized that don't do that. If you're doing a podcast, don't don't do that because you'll be giving yourself unnecessary stress. So yes, I need at least two months to write or plan out write and plan out the next block of episodes. so I'll, I won't be gone for that long. It's not a hiatus, I'm just between seasons at the minute. And yes, if you have noticed a, qu- a difference in quality or tone between episodes one to twenty and twenty to thirty, let me know on Reddit. <laughs> let me know on our Reddit page, The Antique Shop Pod, or you can email me at ghostlythistle at gmail dot com, or you can comment or DM me on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Ghostly Thistle. Uh, is that everything? I think that's everything. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you soon.